This morning we will be talking about committing ourselves to prayer, and the title of this sermon is Commit Yourself to Prayer, and we are in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, and so I encourage you to turn there, and the words will be up on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you, but we will be flipping through, uh, looking at several verses this morning. A lot of times what we've done as we've gone through 1 Peter, and we have gone verse by verse until uh, this moment where we are now, and we will be continuing and finishing 1 Peter if everything goes as planned. Uh, the first week of July, and so, uh, but right now, we're just going to look at one verse this morning, and in looking at this one verse, we're also going to see what some other places in Scripture say about this thing, Um, but I remember reading this verse a a few years ago, and I'm sure I'd read it many times before, but five or six years ago, I was reading this verse, and for some reason, and for those of you who have read the Bible and, and read it often, you know that there are times that you could have read a verse 20 times and just never paid attention to it or, you know, thought about it in the moment, but then it was gone when you woke up the next morning, whatever the case might be. But when I read this verse, it just leapt off the page at me. And as I was reading it, it has stuck with me. This has been one of those verses that since that moment has just stuck with me, and I have thought about it constantly over and over again. Uh, throughout the, these, this time. And so I, I hope that that happens for a lot of us this morning as we look at this verse. I hope that you will see the urgency in this verse. But before we look at the verse, I do want to remind you of where we've been. This is a letter that Peter wrote. Um, some think it's in the form of a sermon, uh, but either way, he is sending it as a letter to people who have been scattered because of persecution. Um, people, the elect exiles of the dispersion is what, who he addresses it to. And um, as he is doing this, as he is writing this letter, there's several themes that have come up throughout this as we've studied it. Uh, there is the theme of hope in the midst of chaos and persecution and being scattered. There is perseverance that, yes, we should have uh, hope of what's to come, but in the meanwhile, we are to persevere while we, were, we are in the midst of that. And so perseverance has been one. There's been several things that we have seen. And so you need to know the context of where we are drawing this verse from because this verse by itself is powerful. But when you realize that this verse is written to a people who are in the midst of uh, all kinds of trials, when you realize that this is written to a people who uh, understand the brevity of life because for a lot of them, life is in danger, um, this means a lot more. And then uh, if you think about this, as we'll get to the verse in just a moment, there are a lot of times when we live in comfort, as most of us do, and when I say comfort, I'm not saying that we all drive Mercedes uh, or... We all live in a three-story home or something like that. I mean, I do, but no, I'm just playing. But, and, and there's nothing wrong with comfort, but when we, when we are in comfort, sometimes we lose a sense of urgency when it comes to the reality of the fact that our time here on earth is limited. Time is short. We're not promised tomorrow. We don't know when our last breath will come. In addition to that, we don't know when Jesus will return. 
Because for those of us who, in, in, who are in here who believe the Bible, we believe that uh, God created man, and there are these different stages throughout history where God created man, and he created us good, but, but we messed up, we sinned, and, and Adam and Eve did that originally, and then we followed suit, and some of us like to interrupt sermons, Logan, no, I'm just playing. Uh, but we've all messed up. We've all done what is wrong in the eyes of God. We talked about this at the block party yesterday. And so, yes, God created things good, but he gave us freedom and the choice. And with that freedom, we chose to do wrong things. And when we chose to do that, that ushered in a new stage, the fall, where after that, it wasn't just about God's good creation. It was about how we have messed up God's good creation. And we're still created in God's image just because there was a fall. I was just picking, Logan. You don't have to go to the back. Just because we messed up God's creation doesn't mean that when he creates us, when our children are born, when our grandchildren are born, when future generations are born, when we were born, it doesn't mean that we're not still created in the image of God. We are. But we're created in the image of God and born into a world that he created that is good that has sin involved, and sin messes some things up. And so from the moment that Adam and Eve sin, and God pronounces his judgment on them, we see him working grace into the picture, and redemption into the picture. We see him covering them with animal skins so that they are clothed. As, as he is punishing them, he is also caring for them. We see uh, throughout the Old Testament the promise of a coming Messiah, this person who's going to rescue Israel, rescue God's people. We see this throughout the Old Testament, this promise. And then when we get to the New Testament, we see the fulfillment of that promise, that God brings redemption through Jesus. And so we are promised that we, and when Jesus came, he promised us, because of the work that he did in his life on the cross, with his resurrection and his ascension and, you know, him being God and the price that he paid for us, he has promised that we can have a right relationship with God. And so that's a new stage where he is offering us salvation. But when we are given that salvation here on earth, it's not like the moment we get saved, all of our troubles go away or all of our pain all of the hindrances and temptations, all of the things that we might struggle with, our financial problems or our health problems or you name it, it's not like all of that just immediately disappears. And there are a lot of passages in Scripture that talk about how that will disappear, but it's looking forward to a distant time, a time when Jesus will return. He's already come once to give us salvation, to offer us salvation, and he will come again to restore everything that was broken. There will be a day, the Bible teaches, where Jesus will return. And in that moment, there will, there will come a time when he judges and, and separates those who have a relationship with God from those who don't. All sin will be punished. All sin will be dealt with. And whether it, it, it has already been dealt with by Jesus on the cross for those who accept his payment and put uh, their trust and faith in him and what he has done, 
whether it's already paid for in the past or whether it will be paid for by the individual who did it at the throne of, of judgment, it, he will reconcile those things. But when the judgment has occurred, then for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, for those of us whose sins have been forgiven, according to Scripture, we will then experience a place with no pain, no sickness, no sin, no temptation, no hurt, no death. There will be no more tears. God himself will wipe away the tears. There will be put an end put to the tears, according to Revelation 21. And, and, and we will have an opportunity to live in eternity without any of the hindrances, or any of the pain that weighs us down now, without any of the guilt that we feel right now. Jesus is going to make, he's going to put an end to all of that. We're, we're told that and promised that in Scripture. And so that's what's coming, but that's not where we are yet. Where we are right now is we're still in the midst of a world that has pain, that has temptation. And so in the midst of that, we have to put our hope and faith in Jesus, trust him, realize that life is brief, brief realize that there are things that we have to do and ways that we need to live our lives in order to prepare for what's to come. And I'm not saying that this is just a dress rehearsal. I've, I've heard that phrase used, and I'm not picking on anybody who might have used that phrase, but I do think that life is more than that. Some people will say that uh, life is just a dress re rehearsal for eternity. Um, but there's more to it than that because what we do here has eternal consequences. What life affects eternity. It, it's not just practice. Life is crucial. This short time that we have here on earth is, I, I, it's life and death. It's, it's a matter of eternity, where we're going to spend our eternity. Are we going to spend it with Jesus, or are we going to spend it um, separated from God? And those are some of the questions that we have to have. And so I've been talking about this verse. Let's read the verse. 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now this, when I read this, the end of all things is at hand. That is a fairly common thing to be mentioned in the New Testament, but not so common that it doesn't still catch your attention when you see it. And so I can remember reading this a few years ago and seeing the end of all things is at hand and thinking, oh, well, what are they going to say about that? What should we do? Should should, is it going to say, so tell your neighbor about Jesus in some way? Or is it going to, what's it going to say? And it says, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. That makes sense, right? Because if we're preparing for something that's important, the end of all things is at hand. It's coming. It's, it's, a, it's about to be here in a sense of compared to eternity. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. And if you think about it, for those of you who were here to hear us look at verse 3, when we were at verse 3, then you know that this is the opposite of the way that some people were acting during that time and that some religions were encouraging these wild parties and things as a way of worship, which completely went against Scripture. And here we see that, no, we're not to do that. We're not to live recklessly. We're not to just live in the moment and enjoy whatever we want. Um, eternal joy is coming, and joy in Christ should be right now uh, but we need to be careful in how we're trying to seek out happiness and fulfillment because there are dangerous things at hand. So instead of looking forward in those things, therefore, be self-controlled 
and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. I did not expect this ending. Because when we hear that the end of all things is at hand, I'm thinking something urgent. And of course this is urgent, but my, my thinking at that moment wasn't right. I'm thinking that it's going to say the end of all things is at hand, so you better go out and tell every single love person that you know that the end is coming, right? That time here on earth is short. I'm thinking that the end of all things is at hand, so you better love your family well. You better treat them as you should, which all these things we should be doing according to Scripture. I'm just saying in thinking of how this verse might end, I don't think it would have made my top 10 or top 20 list that the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded. So far I'm with it. For the sake of your prayers. How many of us treat our prayer life like this? That time is short. And so I have to be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of my prayers. How many of us, some of us, uh, every once in a while, we will have, God will just grace us and gift us with a taste or just a little vision of how brief life is. And we will, in that moment, feel this sense of urgency that we need to really live passionately for him, that we really do need to share Christ with our neighbors. But how often does that drive us to this deeper, long-form commitment to prayer? And so this morning, as we're looking at this verse, and we're going to look at some other verses that that discuss something similar, and I'm going to read you a few quotes But this morning, as we're looking at these things, I want to encourage you to think about three things. Life is brief. The end of all things is at hand. Since life is brief, we need to be self-controlled and sober-minded, which means we need to be focused. We need to be diligent. We need to pay attention to the things around us. We need to realize that every moment in life matters. I mean, if you... Well... We'll get there. And then the third thing is that we need to realize that the the end of all things is at hand. We need to be self-controlled and sober-minded, and we need to be that way for the sake of our prayers. Yes, for other things. We'll talk about that. But we're going to talk about why prayer is so important and why we need to to realize these things for the sake of our prayers. All right. So uh, Romans 12, 12, and if... If you have your Bible, you might have to turn to these places quickly, uh, or you might just want to jot down a note to look at it later. Uh, But Romans 12, 12 says this, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Rejoice in hope. If you think about these people that Peter was writing to, this fits them perfectly, that Paul is saying in Romans 12, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. They, they were in the midst of tribulation. They were going through these things, and they had to be patient. And, and in, of course, while they're experiencing this, they're also to rejoice in the hope of what's to come, as we talked about earlier. And they're to be patient during the midst of the tribulation, and they're to be constant in prayer. And so this isn't anything different than what we're being told over in 1 Peter, that Peter and Paul are in agreement in this. And so I just want to encourage you and challenge you. 
Maybe some of you are in here and you feel like, you know, my life is really good and I don't, I'm not experiencing any temptations or trials or pain or suffering, uh, then praise God. I thank God that we have seasons like that. Um, but as most of you know, it, there are seasons like that in life, but there are also seasons of suffering and trials and tribulation. And in the midst of those, we are to put our hope in Jesus. We are to be patient in the midst of it which is easier said than done, and I'm not going to go all the way back into how terrible I am at suffering, but just so you know, if you have a hard time suffering, so do I. Uh, but we are to be patient in that tribulation and be constant in prayer. If, if, if I was in my quiet time right now rather than um, preaching a sermon, I don't think I could leave this because this is something I need to focus on and work on so much that I couldn't even go to what's next uh, as we continue on, I would have to just rest here as I have done a thousand times in the past and will have to do a thousand times in the future unless Jesus returns. Another thing that I want us to look at as we're looking at the fact that the end of all things is at hand um, is Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. And in Second Peter, this is the next letter of Peter's that we have. And in 2 Peter verse three, or chapter 3, verse 9, he's talking about this very thing, how life is short and brief, and, and we don't know what's to come. And, and, but he wants to make this point, because some don't feel like it's brief. Some feel like it's been a long time. And you've got to remember, this is written fairly recently, or fairly in a short time in the future, from when, after uh, Jesus died on the cross. This isn't like 100 years or a thousand years or for us two thousand years this is just a generation later where Peter is still alive and still writing this and so uh, this isn't that long afterward and some people feel like Jesus is 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 not coming like him him not coming back at that time or him delaying in that is him not really doing what he said he was going to do but Jesus didn't say when he was going to return Jesus said that no man knew the time or the day or the hour or when, when it would happen. Not even Jesus, for whatever reason, while he was on earth, understood that truth. And so the fact is, is that whether we die an untimely death or we live a long life or Jesus comes back in the midst, we will stand before God one day. And of course, now with some distance, we can see that um, Jesus wasn't talking about him coming back in a few years. We can see some other things in Scripture. But this is what, in the midst of them waiting for Jesus to return, because they're in the midst of persecution, in the midst of suffering, and they're ready for their Savior to make everything right, as he promised he would do, this is what Peter tells them. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So what this is saying, what Peter is saying here is, is that we should thank God at the same time that we hope and we long for the return of Jesus, we pray for the return of Jesus, we pray for him to come and put an end to this pain and this sin and, and this corrupt, fallen world. At the same time that we pray that, we thank him for his patience. We thank him for his patience that he has not returned for those who don't know him yet. And this should give us a desire and a longing, realizing that life is short, 
realizing that he is being patient, but that one day his patience will end and he will return in that moment, and which will be a glorious thing, but also glorious for those who have a relationship with Jesus, but a really hard thing for those who don't. And we should remember that Jesus loves not just those who are saved, right? He loves everyone, and he desires to see everyone come to repentance. He desires to see everyone accept the payment that he made on their behalf rather than them insisting on living in sin and, and being punished themselves. And so with that said, he is not being slow to fulfill his promise. He is being patient, especially for the sake of those who don't know him. He desires for all to repent. He desires for all to have an eternity with him. And he knows what's best, and we can't see things the exact way he sees them. But here's what we should remember. The end of all things is at hand. And we, we see that in 1 Peter 4, 7. It's very clear. The end of all things is at hand. It's, if you read the New Testament over and over and over and over again, before Jesus even died, he was warning people that the end of all things is at hand. And so, since the end of all things are at hand, we are to be self-controlled and sober-minded. Look with me at James chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. James chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. And James has started this chapter by talking to people about how they're arguing and fighting and they shouldn't be doing that. They should be one and they should be united and they should be working toward the same goal and because of the way they've been acting, he is calling them to repentance. And this is what he says in James chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, because he wants them to be self-controlled and sober-minded. He wants them to be focused on Christ. This is what he says. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And so while we're simultaneously, while we are to have joy and hope in Jesus and we are to have joy and hope in his promises, we are also to look inward and see if there's anything distracting us from following him wholeheartedly. We're to look inwardly and see, is there anything in us that is separating us from being one with God and one with the church, one with others, other Christians. Is there anything distracting us from the important truth that time, the end of time, is at hand? That time is short. And so, what we do in those moments where we see something in us that isn't how it should be, when we see a lack of urgency and love for our fellow brothers and sisters around the world to tell them about the love of Jesus, when we see that missing in our hearts, when we see some sin that we continue to struggle with, even though we know it is preventing us from being who we need to be, when we see those things, what do we do? We draw near to God. And when we draw near to God, He will draw near to us. And when we are in the presence of God, what can we do but repent? 
What can we do but say, oh God, forgive me. Oh God, help me. Help me to live like you. Help me to be like you. Lord, help me to love you. You deserve my love. You deserve my worship. You deserve my glory. If, if you know the Bible, you know that anytime someone comes into the presence of God, that's basically their response is, what am I? What was me? For I'm a, a sinful man, Isaiah said. And yet, in the midst of his confession, in the midst of his repentance, God says, who shall I send? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. In the midst of him realizing the reality of his standing, that he's not perfect, in the midst of him realizing that he's confessing his sin, he had drawn near to God, and God had drawn near to him, and it, it extracted his confession. It caused his repentance, which repentance just means turning from sin and turning toward God. It, it caused his repentance, and then it caused him to be in a place where he could be used by God. And so, because the end of all things is at hand, we need to be self-controlled and sober-minded. And when we see that we're not, when we see that there is sin in our life, when we see that there is distraction, we are to draw near to God, and he will help us. And, and here's the great promise from 1 John chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. For those of us who draw near to God and we see the wickedness inside of us, when we see the lack of self-control or the lack of a sober mind, when we see whatever sins or, or just lack of following Jesus, whatever it is that's there, there's this great passage that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so all of us have sinned. The question is, have we confessed that sin? Have we turned from that sin? And the great news is, is that when we confess, or if we confess, then he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of every wrong. Not only will he forgive us, but he's right to forgive us because he has done what is necessary in order to forgive us. And his love compels him to forgive us. And so if we confess our sins, when we draw near to God, when we're made aware of those sins, if we confess them, he will forgive us. And that's what's beautiful about God, is that whenever we come to him for help, he is there if we come in the way that he has prescribed. And then one more passage that helps us to see that not only are we to be self-controlled and sober-minded for our sake, but we're to be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of the people around us, and leading to, for the sake of our prayers, because of the sake of our prayers, our prayers affect everything. Second uh, Chronicles 7.14. And of course, this was written to Israel, not to the United States, not to any other Christians in any other country. This was written to Israel in the Old Testament. But we can take the principles of what was written here and we can realize that as Christians, while, while we might not be the country Israel, we serve the same God. And we can cry out to him for help in a similar way. If, and this is what he said about Israel in the Old Testament. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face 
and turn from their wicked ways. So that's drawing near to God, and then when we draw near to God, it brings all these things out. If we're doing these things, if we're confessing, if we're repenting, if if we're seeking his face, if we're praying, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And so not only for our sakes should we be realizing that the end of all things is at hand and being self-controlled and sober-minded, but it's going to affect the people around us without a doubt, which is going to lead us in to the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. I want to read a couple of, a few quotes here to you. A.W. Tozer says, To desire revival and at the same time to neglect personal prayer and devotion is to wish one way and walk another, which means that I can desire to lose weight and then I can eat a bag of potato chips each night and I'm desiring one thing and living a different thing, right? Unless y'all know some great diet where I can eat wavy potato chips, my favorite. Anyway every night and still lose weight, then I'm just wishfully thinking and might I add in a uh, way that is just um, not going to happen. I'm just wishfully thinking for something that could happen if I wouldn't do this, but I'm, I'm doing this. I'm wishing one way and living another. And when we wish that God would would save family members, when we wish that God would hear our cries and answer our prayers, when we wish that God would redeem and restore and do the things that he has said he will do, when we cry out for peace, when we cry out for answers, and we do these things and we hope for these things, and then we live life whatever way we want to live life, that's wishing for one thing and living for another. We reap what we sow. If, if we're not going to do the things that God has prescribed in Scripture in order to get answered prayers, and I'm not saying there's this formula where this is exactly, if you do these things, God will definitely answer your prayers. What happens is, if we do these things, God makes our heart like his heart, and we begin to desire the things that God desires, and therefore we begin to ask for the things that God already wanted to do in the first place. And that's how God gives us the desires of our hearts. But if I go to the doctor and he says, uh, Philip, here's what's wrong. You need to do this, this, and this. You need to exercise. You need to eat healthier. You need to take medicine. How many of y'all have ever heard that? All right. And then I go on living life the way I want to. Do you think I'm going to get the results of doing those three things if I'm not doing those three things? No. And so... Why do we have to be self-controlled and sober-minded? Because God has prescribed for us to to be that in order for us to to get our hearts to a place where we're asking for the right things and for the sake of our prayers so that we know what to ask for and so that we know how to ask and so that we get what we're asking for because what we're asking for is what God desires. I I hope you're pulling all this together. That was a lot that I just said, and I repeated it, so hopefully it's there, but for time's sake, we have to continue. But let me just say, we can't hope for something and then live in a way that we know isn't going to 
get us there. This, I'm just going to say this really quick. We're not going to go to this passage, but in Isaiah 59, verses 1 through 3, I, I've been quoting this a lot in 1 Peter. Um, God is talking to his people, to the Israelites, and he says, Is my arm too short that I cannot save? Or my ear too dull that I cannot hear? I might have reversed those, but he says, No. Your sin has caused a separation. Your iniquity has caused a separation between you and your God. They're not living in the way that he prescribed. Of course, they didn't have the Holy Spirit, and we do. So we should be able to live by the way he prescribes, by his strength and by his power and by his mercy. But they weren't living by the way that he prescribed, and so he was under no obligation to answer what they were asking for. And we don't know exactly what they were asking for. They were asking for rescue, but we don't know the, the details of what they were asking for. But we know that God has said, if you live this way, then these bad things will happen. And they were living this way and asking for good. But God is like, this is not what I prescribed. I've told you that if you want this, this is what has to happen. And ultimately, let me just say that I am not talking about earning salvation. We cannot earn salvation. Salvation is a gift of God. Salvation is given freely to anyone who comes to him and asks. Now, if we're asking, it needs to be in faith because we have to believe in our hearts. We have to confess with our mouth. We have to have faith. And that faith, while it's evidenced by a confession, the confession itself is not proof of faith. Lots of people can say, Lord, Lord. Lots of people can say, uh, I, I'm a sinner. I need, I need salvation. But if you don't have faith and, you don't make, and that confession doesn't come from faith, then there won't be any salvation. We, when we put our faith in Jesus and we cry out to him for salvation, of course he saves us. And when he saves us, there should be a work in our life. For some people, immediately. For some, it's a process. But there should be a work in our hearts and in our lives that causes us to desire the things that he desires, that causes us to desire to live for him and obey him, and not just to desire it, to do it. And so that's what I'm saying. For those who are already Christians, who already have a relationship with God, if you want to see your prayers answered in the way that... It, we need them answered, then we are to do things the way he has prescribed. We are to be self-controlled and sober-minded. We are to realize the urgency of this because the end of all things that are at hand. And so we should do these things for the sake of our prayers because it is our prayers that God is going to use to change things, to bring revival, to heal our church, to help us to, to grow, not just numerically, spiritually, and, yes, numerically, reaching people and seeing people come to know him. It's what he's going to use when we're self-controlled and we're sober-minded and we're coming into his presence and we're praying. It's how he's going to transform us. It's how he's going to allow us to ask for the right things. It's how he's going to give us a burden to help those around us who need help, like the many people right now who are being affected by the flood. If we're not coming into his presence, we might have some kind of a form of empathy or sympathy or guilt uh, but it's not going to be driven by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so let me say this about our prayers. Why should we be so devoted to our prayers? Well, 
E.M. Bowne says, talking to men for God is a great thing, but talking to God for men is greater still. We need to tell people about Jesus. We are told to do that in Scripture over and over and over again. Um, it's the great commission. It's to go and make disciples of all nations. But if we're going to talk to them in our own power and we're not praying for them, then we're missing out. Because it's God who transforms the heart, not our great intellect, not our convincing arguments. It is God who transforms the heart. And so we have to remember that talking to God, talking to men for God is a great thing, but talking to God for men is greater still. But don't let that be an excuse to not go share the gospel. Because the end of all things is at hand. And yes, he's being patient for our sake. But that patience won't last forever. There will be a time in his wisdom when he knows it's time to return. And so let me share this quote with you from Charles Spurgeon. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Think about those around you who don't have a relationship with Jesus. And in your arrogance, don't think, oh, they really need this, and I've got this, and they don't. It's too bad for them. In your love for God and your love for others, say, thank you, God, for saving me because I am a sinner who didn't deserve it. Thank you, God, for showing your mercy to me because I deserve hell, and yet you have given me heaven. You have given me a relationship with you. And then let us pray for those in that, when we have that attitude, when we have that mindset, let us be committed to pray for those who don't know him because the end of all things is at hand. If, if, if salvation wasn't at risk, if eternity wasn't at risk, then who cares if we're being self-controlled and sober-minded? Who cares if, if we're, what are we doing? What does it matter that there's a time limit? What's the time limit on? The time limit is on our chance and our opportunity to come to know him before it's too late. And so the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Yes, for the sake of our prayers, because we don't know what to ask for. Because we don't know what's going to get someone's attention. We don't know what God wants to do in this world to make a difference. We don't know what God wants to do in our community the details, at least, we might know vaguely. We might have a sense of what needs to happen. But we need, for the sake of our prayers, to pray because God, when we come to him, he transforms us. And when he transforms us, we become the people that we need to be. And it doesn't just affect us. It affects everyone around us. And can't you see the beauty of that? But if you don't feel an urgency, if you don't see that time is short, then when are you ever going to be disciplined enough to be self-controlled and sober-minded? And if you're not self-controlled and sober-minded, then when are you going to go into your prayer closet? When are you going to come into contact with God himself? When are you going to sit down and cry your eyes out for the sin in your life? When are you going to sit down and cry out for God to save those whom you love and for those who are your enemies? When are you going to have that if, if we don't follow this prescription? that is given to us by God through Peter to be self-controlled and sober-minded because we know that the end of all things is at hand. And then go to God. 
So many times, if you're like me, we can just do works and do works and do works and do works and do things by our own wisdom and do things by our own power. And where does that get us if God's not in it? We need to go to him. He is our answer. 